Hello, and welcome to another episode of Filmmaking Sucks. This week, uh, we have for you something special. Uh, this is one of the panel discussions that I conducted at the Macabre Fair Film Festival on uh, January 13th. Uh, I ran three panels that weekend and was able to record the audio for all three of them. So here is the first one in the line of them, uh, the cinematography panel featuring Jill Passan and Phil Kral. We discuss uh, camera work, cinematography, how they got into it, some of their films, uh, film versus digital, what makes a film look like a film, and a lot of other subjects. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can check out Jill's movie, A Room in Cairo, and Phil's movie, uh, The Devil's Cut, uh, coming to film festivals all over the country. So look up for them, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll have more of these coming soon. I uh, hope you enjoy it. All right. So, hello. Um, introduce yourselves, please. I'm Jill Poisson. I'm a cinematographer, director, and writer. I am Phil Krell. I'm also a cinematographer, and I'm, I'm also a sound recordist. Cool. Uh, so, we're at Macabre Fair. Yeah. Um, you both have films playing. Correct. Yep, yeah, right. What are they? And, um, yeah, talk, to, talk about them. Pick whoever wants to go first. Uh, my film is A Room in Cairo, which I actually just directed. I did not uh, shoot it, so I had a cinematographer who I had to really trust because, of course, I'm going to be a real pain in the ass about <laughs> making sure everything's perfect so that I'm not on set running and, like, adjusting things instead of directing. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and I shot a film called The Devil's Cut. Mm -hmm. um, I shot it. I also happen to have directed and, and written it, which, again, I usually don't do much directing or writing, but mm -hmm. for this I wanted to do because um, this particular uh, short was shot on 16 millimeter, and I very rarely get to shoot film anymore, and this is the only way I was able to do it. Yeah. So, but. That's awesome. <laughs> shot on film. That's cool. So, um, how did you guys get into cinematography? Um, kind of uh, a weird route. Um, I didn't even decide that I was going to kind of go do an arts until I was in like a junior in high school before that. It was always like, oh, every single one of my job that I wanted to do as an adult were all like motivated by movies. Like mm. I wanted to be like an FBI agent because I saw Silence of the Lambs way too young. And I, saw, I wanted to be like a lawyer and I wanted to be a storm chaser and like nine million other things. And um, I had a bunch of friends who were th theater geeks and they were like, we don't spend enough time with you. Join theater. And I ended up being stage crew and a stage manager. And I ended up doing lighting in that. And uh, I went to school um, to get my associates and uh, learned about everything. Like cinematography, because you could really like just do whatever you wanted when it came to trying to tell the visual story. And that's what I started getting to work at first the most. So I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And just invested that way. Right, this is where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um. For me, um, I'm not sure where to start. I mean, I picked up my first uh, movie camera, I guess, probably when I was like 10 years old, around like in the, around 1990. But um, the irony is that my first camera was actually a Super 8 camera, and mm -hmm. the irony was because Super 8 was cheaper yeah. than video because all the rich kids had access to their parents' VHS camera, which was like, you know, multi-$100 yeah. unit back then, where a Super 8 camera you could buy for five bucks at a, at a garage sale. And I, I drove my mother nuts trying to find the film because <laughs> you could, 
the internet wasn't invented yet, so you had to call up the company. And I remember my mother you actually. Want to put it out yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 I, th I swear, I think my mom only called up Kodak just to prove to me that like they didn't make it anymore. Mm. She's like, you guys still make this stuff? She's like, what? Really? And she like, damn. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Damn. She me, just like, ruined your mother's life right, in one right. phone call. <laughs> so fast forward to like high school, and um, I only had like I started. I picked it back up then, uh, but my but like my, my two ha my two like hobbies, I should find a better term. Like my first love was the military, so. And by the time I graduated high school, people like my love was still back then. It wasn't any like digital that we know it now. It was all still videotape. So and people told people were like, no, uh, after two thousand, there's just going to be nothing but HD. And I said to myself, it's like, well, I love film, and the film's going to die. I might as well stick to what I know, which is the military. And mm. while I was in the military, I kept shooting a lot of film stock, and even even DV when that came out, all this stuff. And and I guess what made the transition between just a camera person or and, and an actual cinematographer was I, I realized that I was using the same tools as some of the feature films were using, but my stuff wasn't looking anywhere near what they call yeah. cinematic. And when I started breaking down what makes something more of a piece of art and not just pointing a camera and shooting it, that's where I started looking more into the cinematography aspect of it. Okay. So let's go there then. Um, Every I have an idea to me, and I think every cinematographer kind of has their own vision in their mind of what makes that cinematic film look. And whether you're shooting on film or you're shooting on digital, when you're doing features especially, you want that film look. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> right. Give me yeah, the, the film look. And you get it. I know you, I know you, I, I don't know if, I'm not sure if you do, but I know you do um, like corporate videos and stuff like that and yeah. you work for clients. I do as well. You do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you know that you have your clients will come to you, I want that cinematic look. How do right. I get this? And you know, basically they just want you to get the biggest, most expensive equipment, show up, look really fucking impressive, and do the same thing you could have done in half the money. But they're yeah. paying, who cares? You know, that's their dime. Um, what when it comes to your films or when working on films, so we're gonna we're gonna put all that corporate shit aside. Right, right, right. Yeah. Creative films. What do you consider key marks of that cinematic look not reality that's the biggest thing is is that's why I'm kind of very much against the low the low light like fanaticism that's going on right now a film should not look like reality it is not reality it is hyper reality now it might only be a little beyond reality where it's you know like that lamp is just the lighting is just very perfect that it you know comes out of it and stuff like that but it shouldn't be reality that's the hugest marker for me when it comes to cinematic is if I could have walked into a room and just turned on all the lights. Mm -hmm. That's not good enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it, it's it's about taking control of what you're lighting and what you're not lighting, and letting the audience only see what you want them to see, only emphasize what you want to see, and that is what makes cinematic to me, hands down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They um, back in the day they used to say like, well, the point of your movies is that it's supposed to be it's a story. So it, you know, if you want you don't want it to look real. You want it to look like it was like a story. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, you know. So, and you know, going back to when I first learned about what how to make something look more filmic, or for yeah. like a better term, it's like what they call, um, the mizzen the mizzen scene. Uh, I can yeah. never. I, I, yeah. I have horrible pronunciations, but like, but you're just just what she said, like. You could, especially when you start getting more into cinematography, you could tell when someone just turned on the one light. Yeah, and, and it drives me nuts. And I've had, I have had productions where somebody doesn't give me the budget or the time or even the equipment, and it's like, this doesn't, this isn't doing anything, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so right, it's like it's where people are placed. It's um, 
it, it's, it's what the lighting will look like, the contrast ratio is, and right, like, you just turn on the lamp, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's so bizarre, like, how much work we put into making something to, and in your mind, it's supposed to look real, but it's not. It's yeah. really not at all. It's, it's, and the irony is that it's something, uh, it, it's almost like the more real it is, the more it looks like, to my mind, yeah. back in the 90s, like, like, almost like someone took like, a video camera to it. I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look like, and I feel in some ways it's even harder for cinematographers today than it was, you know, back then, because now people, now the film look, the film look, the uh, term film look is, I think, is getting broken up a little bit because, like, people, like, people now will go by rules of thumb that necessarily aren't true. Like, for example, um, uh, what do you call a shell depth of field? Like everybody yes. now, right? Yeah. Like people go crazy over like, oh no, you has to be a full full frame camera. It has to be a shell depth of field. You know. And then meanwhile, you know, like you see them freak out because they can't keep it in focus when people yeah. are moving around. It's like there are rules of thumb that people kind of go by, but that doesn't always necessarily mean mm -hmm. those are all the rules. But like, for, but like one thing I think that a lot of people realize is that when you do buy that. Or do have access to that fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar camera, the two K, four K. A lot of people, it's it looks like video if you don't manipulate it yeah. a lot. You know, yeah. like it looks, a lot of post processing, it, specific it, lenses, yeah. specific lighting. Yes, yeah. it's, well, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a, a lot of people don't realize it's also it, the look of the film is in post. Like, yes, I'm right. a colorist as well as cinematographer. A lot of us have to do that to even control the look of our movie. Right. I've worked on stuff where. I worked on a short film that um, when the director, the director didn't have a lot of direction for me, although he wanted really harsh angles. So he wanted it like straight on, 90 degrees, stuff like that. We were doing a silent movie. And so I asked him, like, we're doing a black and white, we're doing color. And he was like, no, we're absolutely doing a color. So because it was this romantic story, I decided that I wanted to always have the lady in this golden light. So mm -hmm. I, and we were mostly outside, so we were using all these balances, all these gold lights, and I always wanted him kind of in shadow. And I did light him with a balance. It was always like a silver light, so it was it was much cooler. Went through all this work, like sometimes taking like ten minutes to set up something just to get that balance just right, because we yeah. were dealing with like a moving sun and stuff like that, and clouds, and um, the he had the colorist who was the editor make it sepia. Yeah. All my work was pointless. Yeah. Wow, that's that's like turn the whole fucking screen brown and red. That's yeah. like that's like that's like the second or third horror story for the same way. In fact, I one something I shot last year had said the same way. Like I shot it, and they wanted they wanted like just a small segment on 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 film, and then and then they end up turning it black and white. I'm like I should like why did you do that? Like it's and there's another filmmaker I don't want to point out names or anything, but they had the same complaint that 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 the special effects artist went through so much work making the monster with all different colors and everything like there's so much work put into it then when you turn it black and white it ruins everything that you yeah. did i mean a lot of like what a lot of cinematography uses it's painting with light yeah with colors and, and everything else like that if you if you want it black and white then you then you adjust yourself to do it in black and white mm -hmm. you know it's it's a totally different i've yeah. i've had that or i've had that argument before we did because uh we did a short um attack of the brain people it's 1950 sci-fi so it's in black and white. It's got all those old cheesy effects. And uh, a friend of mine and a, a friend of mine and his wife were going to do a cameo. They live in Philly. So I told them, "You filmmakers, just you know, shoot your cameo, put your thing on a tripod. Like it's because the whole point is to look like the '50s. So the camera's not going to be moving all around. Right, like, right. Keep it steady. Just walk into frame and walk off. You know. Um, and I told him shoot it in black and white. And he says, why don't I just shoot it in color and give it to you? I said, no, shoot it in black and white because it's supposed to be black and white. And I've had this, I've had this argument before with that to me in my, my vision. And like, well, if it wants to be black and white in the end, we should shoot it that way because 
to me, the contrast matters then. Contrast, all the different colors that you, clothes that you're wearing matter now because what shade of gray is it going to come up? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of filmmakers do the opposite. They start in black and they start in color and then they just, no, just make it monochrome. Oh, well, a lot of times what they just, yeah. de de just desaturate it. Just like, desaturate it completely, yeah. I'll shoot in color for black and white, but I'll have my monitor desaturated. Yeah. And, so, you know what, and yeah, yeah. so I know what I'm getting and then... And po like, the thing is, like, the, um, it drives me nuts where they're like, oh, we're just going to make a black and white. Like, well, okay. Are, what kind of black and white are we? There's a lot of different options. Yeah. How crushed are the blacks? Are we blooming right. out the whites? Are we going for a lot of grays? Are we almost in that? There's there's a black and white that's almost a brown. Like, yeah. there's so yeah. many like options on that that would dictate what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh no, we're just making a black and white. I'm like, no, what? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of black and white? Like, yeah. think and about wanted, this. We were going for that like that high contrast kind of washed out '50s look. Yeah. You know, so when we shot outside, the skies were very blown out you know but the characters themselves were very dark in the frame you know so we could see their features and everything but everything behind them is all bright and blown out because it's a freaking alien invasion so we wanted to make it feel like they're kind of trapped you know and it's just kind of them going through this whole world and i'm like i couldn't i don't think i could have done that in, if we shot it in color because it would look so completely different to blow it out i think blowing out in color would be an entirely different contrast ratio Versus blowing it out in black and white. And we blow it out, and then we, once I put it to black and white, I'm like, how much are we going to lose by just desaturating or something? Yeah, you, you, know? you, have, yeah. To, you have to manipulate it. You have to understand color theory to go black and white from shooting color. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and this is why, like, as colorists, yeah. you know, you guys both do that. So I said, you would film too. You're developing and changing. I'm <laughs> in of that. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. It, it's just like, just like, just now that there's like this realm of thought that's like, well, if you shoot black and white, you got to do it in a film. Like, well, you don't have to do it in a film, but mm -hmm. you got to know what you're, white, you know, what you're looking for. Yeah. And it, and it's funny actually. That's and that's actually one of my like pet peeves when I do watch because a lot of people put things in black and white when they want to make something look like it's old footage or, mm -hmm. or or the worst the worst I hate and I've seen this happen a couple of times. I don't know if this is what happened to you, but sometimes people put things in black and white just because it's almost like a shortcut. It's like, well. Like something will be wrong. They'll be like, "Well, I don't like uh, you know how it. There's like a glare in the corner, or I don't like the editing. Oh, I know. We'll make it black and white. I'll make it legit." It's like, yeah. what kind of thought process? What? Yeah. Why? Like no, it's, it's. I'm more than willing to bet the, the CPA decision was that because there was no leveling of shots. Like there are you know, there were shots like we had no choice. It was darker. Like yeah, it's yeah, but it was within you know proper exposure just a little under kind of thing and yet they were they, it was just slap a filter on it yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of my like one of my pet peeves yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that along with the other one which is just put on like an old film filter like every time I see like an old film filter where like you see like really bad scratches I'm like oh it's not the real thing you know oh, it's not even God. close it's not even close that shit drives me crazy yeah. when I see them throw those things on I've used them in the past too but you know what I see most of these movies do they just slap it on there after the edit and now you have scratches going between shots that should technically be different film stock. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Or the, the, the aging is going to be different because you didn't shoot this, you didn't sh edit in camera. You shot this differently. Right, yeah. The film is going to have different gradients, different you know little tiny things. And I'm watching this. Yeah. One one grain go across. Well, right, right. Seconds because, of takes. because usually it's also looping too, right? So you exactly. see like the same. So yeah. Three minutes later, like I right. recognize that piece of hair I, now. I, I, just, <laughs> I, see, I just see too many like digital artifacts too. I'm yeah. like, oh, this was shot, on, especially way back. They even everything was on DV. It's like, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> for Flush of Inferno, we did that, but uh, we did put um, noise and grain and, and scratches on After Effect, but I was like, okay, we sh- we're going to pretend we shot it on 16mm. We uh-huh. got um, real, um, where basically someone just ran. Uh, Telesin? Yeah, and I picked in what sections what we were using, so oh. there was a different color stock, so like, on certain scenes, maybe it was a, a, a stock that was a little magenta, and like, the, like and when, yeah. I went back and forth and, and kept the same stock. So yeah, you, that's something that nobody thinks about. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, you know, yeah. Even something as simple as going from day to night, you're going to two entirely different colors yeah, here. Yeah. You can't have the same color of grain yeah. thrown on top of it. If you're going to do the digital grain, it can't be the same color if you're going from day to night. Yeah. You know, right, that right, white right. is going to change to orange or to blue or to yellow it's going to it's going to shift yeah I think right I think every good colorist and I know I, know I have I have my own stock because I've you know because I, I take sections from the hat that's just blank like for example like if you white out or like in the beginning or end of a reel I save it just for that just mm-hmm. for that so I could because okay well if I I'd rather do that than, than I'll just go on and look up a filter it's like you know, it's, it's with any within cinematography it's not you know not everything you can't just put on one filter on something every project you had to put your own yeah, you know, skills into everything takes a little bit different manipulation than each other. You know, that's that's what it's about. That what that's what makes it an art. You know, yes. now, I don't know if you guys have been um, able to see each other's movies yet, but your visuals are like polar opposites of the spectrum. <laughs> really, <laughs> his are darkness and shadows. He's got a lot of in 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 sorry, specific in the Devil's Cut. You have a lot of it's in a dark room. All everything is based on what you do see and what you don't see. But meanwhile, room in Cairo, it's almost like you're on the sun. Just the That's amount what I of light flooding yeah. in, you know? How what was your process in developing the visual style to tell the story? How does it lend to the story? For a room in Cairo, I because uh, like what I was trying to tell, which maybe is way more subtle than I was hoping it was going to be, was I wanted to talk about American interventionism in the Middle East. Okay. So I came, like came with the idea shortly after the revolution in Egypt, and we were already starting to like meddle. Okay. And um, so basically, I kind of wanted you know the, the situation is where these two you know two people are probably doing the same. They're literally doing the same work, but they're opposed with each other because they're representing different governments. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I kind of wanted it to be this just bathe of, like, you know, like, that light's the best, like, um, cl- cleaning in this kind of thing. Okay. It's just, like, everything's on the table very quickly in that, yeah. in that, in that movie. And it's, it, I just wanted to be nice, bright. It was not in shadows. It, this awful thing was happening in a nice sunlit Beautifully morning pretty, room. yeah. Yeah, I wanted, yeah it's, it's, it, what happens in the movie is very ugly, but the room is beautiful, and it's like, yeah. and, and how it's lit, and stuff like that. Watching it, I felt yeah. like I was watching like an American, like, oh, not American, like, like a desert war movie, yeah. where everything is just very, I mean, there's a little overexposure, like when you go in one direction, yeah. going towards the window, there is overexposure yep. in there to make it feel like the sun is just beating down on them, but, but, but like you said, you go toward them, Everything is perfect in focus, in a proper exposure, and it looks like, holy shit, it's like, like fucking Michael Bay just shot this beautiful war movie. You well, know what I mean? Like, it, it has this very high production look to it. It's just perfect. And I just wanted to have yeah, that, that's, develop it. I mean, that. it was like, Joey and I talked a lot about what the look was. I gave him, like, a bunch of 
uh, movies I wanted. Like uh, obviously we had a reference Apocalypse Now with the color scheme a little yes. bit, and yeah. um, and so I mean it's kind of we were lighting it with one one by one LED panels. Like we it wasn't actually a lot of lights in the room. Wow. Um, and uh, so we had that um, on an auto pole above the bed. We had a, a one fifty airy light, and um, we had two LEDs that were basically kind of almost in fixed positions, and we had one that just kind of moved around mm-hmm. when needed. And then we had um, uh, some lights on the green screen outside, which we had to keep on covering that up because we were getting too much green spill, depending on the situation. And yeah. that, that's how we lit the, the room areas. <laughs> um, so for Diddle's Cut, I wanted uh, the feeling of... of I, I wanted kind of like the old like, Bihar move, a thing where like you see like the shadows going across the room, and, and they're like... I love high contrast stuff. Yeah. I, I, love, I actually kind of like it dark. It's actually... Yeah. To borderline to a flaw, because I'll be I'll, some of the projects I'll do. I'm like, oh, this is too dark. What are you doing? Phil, let it back up. <laughs> like, you know, like this isn't what your client wants. Stop that. You know. So, so the feeling I, I wanted was that you know an editor sitting down late at night working on this stuff, and then under almost under like a desk lamp kind of mm-hmm. a feeling. So that's kind of like the feel I have for most most yeah. of the film. You know, and, and at the same time, I want to play around with it. So like, you know, I'm gonna have there's like candlelight in there. There's the, the light from the, you know, candlelight temperature is different than let's say from a bulb. Mm-hmm. So like, depending on how they move around the room, there's you know there's it's like from one temperature coming from the bulb that's coming down. And of course, it's since it's coming right from there's a lamp coming from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I wanted the shadow in there where like when he moves in, he's into, lit. Into light. Right, light, yeah. right. And you know, and you have to measure everything. So, polar opposites. You guys just, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah. You have two people in a room and he's at two people in a room and it's, they couldn't be different <laughs> visually. So, <laughs> sorry, continue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I want a lot that, 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 you know, like in, when he's sitting at the desk and with the moonlight coming in from the window, so I want to like, you know, blue on one end and more red on the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, just a play light that way. I like, th- I like things dark and, and like it's always funny because like my crew, uh, I always freak them out because if, you, if you're shooting dark on film, everyone's scared to death because no one else could see it but you. Yes, <laughs> like really. And uh, and I usually work with a with a video monitor so everyone can see what I'm doing, or at least so I can get a general idea of my frame. And like, I have it's an old SD um, standard definition uh, camera that's built in there, so like it doesn't pick up light that well. So everybody else is like. It looks totally black. I'm already really fine. It'll expo- it expose. Yeah. It expose. Really, just for framing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really. And, but when you shoot dark, no one else can see anything. People are like, "It looks too dark." Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I got this. You know, like whatever. <laughs> so yeah, and, and it's it's funny that way because, uh, but I like I like the challenge. I like I like filming it in in high contrast. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's um, what was I, I was gonna say my my mind's like, but um. Yeah. So you both work as directors as well as DPs. Uh, the challenge that me doing the same is always we're indie and we're kind of doing everything ourselves. You know, uh, while working with your actors, you're trying to set the scene, you're trying to set your lights, you're trying to get everything. You know, um, is that what it's like on your sets? How, how basically, what types of crew do you guys use? Do you feel like you kind of need to be hands on everything like I do <laughs> I, <laughs> to a fault? Or <laughs> I've learned to really. So, like, Ruben Cairo, I found a cinematographer I really trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, a short idea before that promise, I had my friend Richard shoot it and. Same thing. I really trust him. Um, Love fools. I actually hired a cinematographer I had never worked with before, and that was a wicked lot of trust. Okay. Um, but then a short that I did, which is called One Four Seven, which is my ode to Shakespeare and samurai movies. 
because because huh. <laughs> that's how they can go together. Um, <laughs> that I actually shot myself, okay. and um, it was it was a, it was a lot of work because there was uh, a, it was you know one four seven is one of. Uh, Shakespeare's sonnets, and so that's what we were doing. And we had a lot of locations. There was, you know, we had, you know, people had to make out. So of course, is that there's like this tension. Um, a lot of random, beautiful locations. And we had a huge fight sequence. We had a one minute fight sequence that's intercut from the entire movie that I'm shooting. <laughs> um, but I also have a lot of support staff, like yeah. I have fantastic gaffers, grips, um, ACs. Um, you know, just. 80s that are like making sure that I'm moving forward the way I need to and, yeah. and um, because I produce a lot of stuff and not just my own work um, at certain points I turn on the producers you know mm -hmm. uh, switch and I'm like okay like there was one shot I wanted in that movie so bad which was this overhead shot of them spinning at each other with their swords and I couldn't get it because we ran out of time. <laughs> and I, and oh, really? I, if it was a situation where like I was a cinematographer and not the director and producer as well. I probably would have fought that for that shot, but mm, I knew we're staying and getting this done. We're not leaving until it's yeah. Done. This yeah. is a beautiful shot. We're fucking getting yeah. it. And I was like, no, I can't. We've been shooting this for twelve hours at this point. Been there, done that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like like luckily I had a lot of support. So like our big fight day, we had already had them choreograph the fight. They had been rehearsing it for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we got there. There were some additional parts to the fight that was outside the main. Uh, fights we had to have you know people rehearse that we threw somebody through a table um, <laughs> so they had to rehearse that um, and uh, basically then we went through and just shot the fight chunk by chunk by chunk yeah. um, and you know the the huge reason why I was able to get through that was because while well, I'm working with the actors I have my crew set up in lights where I told yeah. them to and I'm I didn't make that much tweaks to the lighting I let my gaffer oh. John Mustiche handle it I told them where where to go and that was it. <laughs> okay, that was it. That was. I was going to add to that. How much of the visual have you predetermined versus how much are they determining? Um, on that, like I knew exactly what I wanted, but um, I've worked with the people who were on that project so mm -hmm. much that, like, I'm just this is what I want. You trust and they're, them. They're going so, to give okay. me what I want with a little extra flair. That's them. Yeah. So I was yeah okay. I was able to trust John instead of the lights. I was able to trust Angela to. Do we should have build drug props? <laughs> um, and yeah, I, like I knew everything was going to come together because I was I was working with people that I knew would do what I needed and understood what I was trying to communicate for the the, the vision. Mm. Like we had like insanely awesome costumes and stuff like that. So okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm more like you. Well, at least starting off with I, for so long I used to do everything myself that yeah. after a while it's kind of hard to give up. Yeah. But then when you realize that you're killing yourself trying to do everything by yourself and it also takes up a lot of time that you slowly start to give you know give up the you know the rain to other people yeah. that you know that are doing it's also very hard because as as you go forward for example um I end up going back to school late so so I was I had been doing this for a while before I actually went and officially got my degree and one of the things that, that was annoying there is is it, you, there's like a middle it's like a mid ground where it's like okay Put that light there, but they might not know what's the convenience. It's like, oh, what's 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 like a tweeny or what's a yeah. what, 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 what's a keynote? It's like, okay, then before you know, it, you're actually setting up the light yourself because yeah. they have no idea what they're exactly. doing. You know, and then they and then when they do get it, like you're still like, just move it a little bit, just uh, just give me the damn thing. You know, yeah. like you do that. And that's and that's pretty much where I'm at. It's like I have people who help me, but they're more hands 
than experience. Yeah. So I'm still do that there, that there, that there, that blah, blah, you know? So yeah. you might as well do it yourself. By the time it takes me to explain it, I could have done right. the writing. That's, that's you exactly, know? yeah. You've got to bridge that gap. Like um, a Midsummer yeah. Night's Dream, which I was a cinematographer on, I had torn my meniscus in my right leg mm-hmm. right before production. And luckily we had two gaffers in the project who were incredibly experienced. And so I had to basically sit there. Well, I could never pin the brace off my leg. But I had a brace on my leg, and I had to sit there in front of the monitor and tell them what to put the lights and what colors I wanted. I had this huge color scheme. Like, you know, when we were in Fairyland, we were using these colors. When we were in the human land, we were using these. And when they started mixing, we were going into that. So like, and I had to uh, basically sit in front of the monitor. No, move that. No, boom it up a little bit. No, yeah. no, just cut that light. Yeah. And You're playing stick figures. Yeah. It, so it, it was a great thing where... One, I learned how to even communicate even better to my subordinates. Mm. I had no choice. I did move some stuff around because I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> not against doctor's orders. Um, but it, it, at some point, you have to realize that they trust in your vision and you have to trust them to execute it. Yeah. So that that's kind of always the biggest thing is doing it. You're never going to get as much done or you're never going to quite get what you want if you're doing everything yourself. Right. At the very least, you're going to run out of time. Because, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and you're already limited on time because you have, you know, the money to pay to be there forever. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and do this, you'll also like, you'll also work grips that because you communicate well with them, like you stick to the same grips and everything. Yeah. And you also learn like the experience of one grip over the, over the next, like there's some grips that like, you'll tell them what you want. And like, and you always seem like checking the back of their hand. Like, okay, is this light right? Like, they know how to read the light. Yeah. You know, they know like how bright this is or whatever. And if you, it's nice if you tell them like, this has to be this stop different. There's kind of like, they're ones that are so good that they could basically light the whole damn thing for you. And they know off the top of your head. But you, I think that would come with people who've worked with film because you get used to like, no, I yeah. got well, You got to know what yeah. that's going to look like because you really don't. Yeah, it, it's you know, but you, a lot of this developing. Uh, you know, your, your, your like, communication has lots of good grips and and, and gaff out there, but you have, but like the better ones you communicate with, and I feel that that's like with everything. That's why you see directors working with the same actors or the same cinematographers. Like you develop a, that's how you get your, that's how you get good clients. You develop a. Just segue into the literal next. Oh, question. did I? <laughs> well, I mean, perfect segue. <laughs> I mean, but what I will say, the last thing is, is that it's funny because it took because it took me so long to finally make that jump. It it, I de- it helped me develop like a style I have mm-hmm. in most of my films, which is like on a personal level, like I try to do as much practical as I can, and then, then I supplement things. So become so used to working with myself and having as as not like have like a minimalist style, not mm-hmm. like crap minimal style yeah. like where it's turn on a light but like enough so where, where, where it's like for example like it's like for example if somebody's key light is supposed to be a lamp I'll use the freaking damn lamp but if I'm not getting enough fill I'll bring in that light there and I'll bring in a hair light you know it, you know, and it's that then itself is kind of a skill because you, you know you're using what you know it shouldn't be that way but mm-hmm. you learn how to use what you have. Yeah. And I, now I, see that all, I, I, I will light based on where the lights naturally are in the room. You know, if there's a lamp over there, I'm going to put a bulb, I'm going to put a 120 watt bulb into that lamp and I can just use the lamp. Yeah. Now. It, you know, if there's a window over there, I'm just going to put a light, put a light right in front of it and never face the window so that I can put a, you know, a 600 watt light in front of that window. And there's always going to be light coming from there. I'm not aware of the shadows. Just don't turn the camera that way. So we don't have to move the damn light because we don't have time to reset. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and in a worst case scenario, if for some reason the light's not shaped right or you're just not giving out the right temperature, at least you have like it's also good to know because on a subconscious level, your audience has to have 
figure out where this light source is coming from. So, okay, that's the light source. As yes. soon as as soon as we, we, we go into a close-up, just put a better light there, but at least mm -hmm. people will have a reference of what's lighting Usually, it. a lot of the time, I'll just bring it a little bit closer. Yeah. You know? Rather, I'm not even put another one. Just, all right, let's just move it a foot closer. We're going in for the close-up. No, mm -hmm. need a little bit more. Just bring it in a little bit. Because the same light coming from the same source, a little closer, but you've shifted your view. The audience isn't noticing that unless yeah. you get weight, unless you get too close. You know, like yeah. you said, it's that yeah, yeah. The difference. But you got to know that half stop difference between the light. Yeah, yeah. You got to know what, what it shows. Right. Yeah. That's, that's always something you got to be careful. It's like, huh, it's in the, like early, er, earlier when you start doing these things, you're like, oh, in the in the wide angle, the phase wasn't blown out on that yeah. side, and now ooh, I put that lamp <laughs> way too close. I could cut that down and post it. No, it's still really bright. Yeah. <laughs> it's all blown out. Yeah. So uh, all right. So then I'm. I'm cause it's so as it's funny you said that. So I'm just going to read this exactly as I wrote it. Christopher Nolan and Wally Pfizer. Pistor, Steven Spielberg and Janus Kaminsky, Darren Aronofsky, Matthew Levatique, Stanley Kubrick and John Alcott. All directors are longtime cinematographers and they work together on numerous projects creating visual style that becomes unmistakable and uniquely theirs. Do either of you have someone like that you work with? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And do you think having the same director over multiple projects is a benefit towards your own personal style? Or is that separate from your, like you've created something with them, but when you're not with them, you're doing something else, or is there going to be that, you know? I'm going to say the answer, the answer is yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just yes. Yeah, yeah. Move yes. on. So, so I, I, I worked with Richard Griffin, uh, though the 12 feature I shot, I think eight or his, eight or nine. Okay. Um, and so Richard references very particular movies in everything we shoot, but at the same time, he also shoots all kinds of different genres. So mm -hmm. it's mostly horror comedy. We're going a lot of Argento with it, nice. um, but um, then there's also like accidental incest where we're doing French New Wave. Like that was a, we were wow. full black and white for this crazy <laughs> comical, a crazy comedy musical, just insanity where we were just going with it, like this really harsh like lighting scheme and just look um, because the story to some degree was so harsh. <laughs> um, so there, there is an incident like um, uh, a feature I shot uh, for Laura Pepper called Fairfield Follies where it's this, this just crazy uh, goofy comedy and for that I didn't use practically any gels. It was all hmm. white, nice yeah warm light kind of thing balancing in camera more than yeah and on set yeah well and then i just i love using different color gels i think i had, I had like one red gel i used and a couple like maybe a couple blues that like enhance something but nothing uh -huh. crazy and so one of the reviewers was surprised i shot it <laughs> <laughs> because there was no use of color really and he yeah. was like oh my god she can work in just like white yeah. And um, so it was. It, it was kind of interesting that because I've worked with her so many times, everybody expects that I'm like that. I'm going to throw in, you know, uh, a cyan, and I'm going to throw in, you know, these weird warm tones and have these nice, cool, like interesting colored backgrounds and stuff yeah. like that. So um, I do. There is a little bit of that where I have had to fight with the fact that oh, I'm not like my look isn't Richard's. Basically, I'm. I, I, I don't consider I don't think I have a look yet okay. as a cinematographer to be honest okay. um, because there's a lot of different cinematographers that I really admire and their looks are like very very different and there's certain aspects of them I like and so my 
I think my job as a cinematographer is to take the director's vision and mold what I do to be that. Gotcha. And so I think it, it's kind of to some degree weird to have a look because of that. It's like you can't just cookie cutter your ideas into every storyline, particularly yeah. when you're doing very specific genre movies where it's like kind of takes time to get to that point. Like yeah. If you're going yeah. to ju- hire, if you're going to hire the guy who does Chris Nolan's movies, it's because you want it to look like Chris Nolan's exactly. movies yeah, at yeah. this point. 20 years later, at this point, you're hiring him because that's what he does. Yeah. Right, right. You know? Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's, it's funny you say that because like, someone once told me, like, oh, we, as cinematographer, you should have your own look. I'm like, you realize not every film is going to have the same look. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you could try, I guess that's kind of the hard part is how to put your own thing on it. But I, I've worked with both types, types of directors. Like, Gregory Hernandez or, or Angie Hansen, who's was here at, at the festival, um, they, they're more directors. So what I'll do is I usually come up with a look. You know, it usually has, you know, there's a part of me in there that you could probably see in mm-hmm. every film. But then regardless of what it is, I, I bring it past them first. I'm like, this is the look I'm designing. Do you like it or not? And, yeah. and you know, they still have the final word on it. They're, you know, they're the director. They're yes. the client. Then I have other directors. Um, there's, a, there's a guy named Larry Miles that I work with in, and like he, he's like Stanley freaking Kubrick. Mm. Like seriously, like this man is the most, he's the most anal attentive person I've ever met. To the point where I think the reason why I work with him a lot is I'm the only person who doesn't like go insane when I do. <laughs> and I mean, I mean nuts. Like I've I've gotten phone calls in the middle of the night where like he, he has an idea and he's like, then one time he was like, Phil, I want to shoot this on film. I'm like okay, but I need you to test your camera. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I want you to the film uh, uh, a chart. I'm like okay. Then I want you. Can you can you film, can your camera go in reverse? I'm like, no, but I could I could backwind it maybe. He's like, okay, we should backwind it and film it film the same thing twice. I'm like, why? I want to make sure that the lines are perfect and the so and so and so and so. I'm like, out of your damn mind. No one's gonna give a shit. <laughs> Forget about. It. I'm not doing that. Then I actually, I remember I said to him, would you want me? Do you want me to try underwater while upside down while flipping in the air too? He's like, he's like, I take this very seriously. <laughs> I'm like, I bet you do. And like, and he's the guy who like he designs the entire look. Absolutely, like it's like if he says I want this this way, done. Like I'll do it exactly the way he wants, and even then, like he'll still drive still, him insane. <laughs> he's like he's like he's like, like you do like a pan, and he'll be like, "There's a little bump." I'm like, "There's no bump. There's a bump." And like we'll like review the footage. I'm like, "There's no fucking bump there, man. You're out of your you're out of your damn mind." <laughs> you know, like you know, you know, like when you hear stories about Stanley Kubrick and how like he did like check like five different lenses. I, I've done those tests with him. Yeah. Where like we've, we've rented like the same lens from like Adorama and you know and, and, and or Enable Cine, and then we'll be like, this one, which one do you think is sharper? I'm like, I'm like, for the love of God, you're driving me out of my damn mind. <laughs> you know, like it's like and it's and it's some like in the, in the in the thing that's kind of magical, but also kind of crappy about being a cinematographer is that like. Like you, you as sometimes you care about things that your audience doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many things where it's like, you know, how's the story? How's the story going? Yeah. You know, like on your pro, you know, it's like, oh, this isn't going to be sharp enough. It's like, listen, you know, like we live in an age now where you know, it's just they're not going to care about that. This is slightly, you know, like for example, like soft focus might be a good look that you want for your film. Yeah. Like you know, like and I've gotten that, I got that whole discussion where it's like, oh, is, which 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 one do you think is better? I think this one's sharp. And this one. I'm like, well, you're going for sharpness, or you're going for more of a dreamy thing, like. Yeah. You know, there's so many different things you want, but he's the type of guy where I almost have no say in it, which is fine by me. It makes my job a little bit easier because I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that's what you want. That's that's what I'll do. You know, yeah. like, you know, then we'll use Dad and we'll usually work together to, to, to make their vision. But yeah, yeah but it's, it's, it's a give and take. It depends what director you're working with. Okay. I had somewhere else to go with that. But yeah, I'm wow. sorry. I know. <laughs> no, no, 
I was just like, oh, that's really because, like, all right, uh, um, I'm as you know, I'm kind of getting away from moving. You're running the camera myself, you know, yeah. so that's why I'm like, I, I want to do this panel because I want to hear what how cinematographers see things because I see it as a director cinematographer mm. when I do something. So I'm starting. I have to start learning how to talk to cinematographers and what it is you guys are looking for and what you need and things like that. So when you're going into a project, how do you prep with the director beforehand? The first thing I ask, even when it's like, there's, it's still like in the interview process or whatever it would, mm -hmm. you would call it. First thing I ask is, you know, what's, what are three movies that visually or tonally they think is similar to their movie? Okay. And I will watch them. Okay. Um, and that will give me a lot, and then I'll read through the story, and I will start, like, I'm a super visual person, so when I read a story, I will visualize what I think it Absolutely. should look like. Absolutely. And so then I'll, after that, I'll go to the director and be like, okay, so I think this is the kind of lighting scheme we probably need, and give them samples so they can do their homework, so they understand what I'm talking about, because not every director even knows what lens you should put on the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like, I want, you know, it, like mm. they'll put up a box to like a person's face and they'll be like, yeah. I want this. Like, okay, so you want a yeah. close up. Yeah. All right. Well, because of this scene, I'm going to put it on uh, a 50 instead of 85. I'm going to move the camera in. Uh -huh. Or I'm going to you know, move it back, put it on 85 because I really want to get, you know, a, a lot of compression. So it's like, it, it's kind of a situation where um, you have to figure out with your director right away how camera and lighting that savvy they are mm -hmm. and then once you figure that figure out, out make a language yeah, yeah, yeah develop yeah. a language between them okay yeah okay yeah i wasn't cutting you off it's no, just no, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it, it's basically that and then and then you know um i'll run you know because like i said most of the time i'm going to add gels to it um so then i'll run a color scheme by them i, I usually build it in adobe cooler i'll be like these okay. are the kind of the three the three or three to five or in Midsummer Night's Dream, twenty different <laughs> colors that I'm uh, looking at, and kind of, and and kind of go from there and break it down. And sometimes I get shot lists that they make. Sometimes I'm making shot lists, mm -hmm. and then sometimes it's kind of a collaboration in between. Okay. Yeah, yeah I I just think very similar. Like that's actually a really good idea to have three samples. The first thing I usually do is I ask them, yet yeah, is there a look? Do you how already do you already have a mind, or like is there any inspiration that you have? And I, I, I try to see how much control they want. You know, yeah. yeah. For example, like many directors won't ask, won't they don't know that much about lenses, so they won't be like, this has to be shot on twenty five, unless I'm shooting with Larry. And you know, or, you know, it's like, so like that. So then you talk to him about things like that, or like the one thing I also ask him is about storyboarding. I'm like, do you want, like, do you have a storyboard in mind? Or a lot of directors have like a scene that they have in their mind, like, oh, like the. Everyone has like the one shot that they really want to get, you know, yeah. the one where it's yeah. like a huge, you know, like a huge pan or the entire movie. Right, to an end dollar, if we right. Do not this make this yeah. shot. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all hinges on this two seconds. Right, right, right. So, so I know what things like, like how much control do they want, and you know, they, and you give it to them, mm -hmm. and then whatever things that that they they don't really necessarily have an opinion on, you help them out with. You're like, okay. If you're not sure about the look, I'll develop a couple looks. Or you watch, see, please see a couple movies and tell me if there's an idea or, of a look that you like. Mm -hmm. I'll have, a, I'll show you my samples. You show me yours, and then if, and then if you don't have much to fill Crazy. the blanks for the storyboards, then I'll do it. You know, like I don't, I, I if anything, I kind of like it that way because, like, like for me, like one of the things that I learned well, the hard ways about the cinematography is that movement is like a big deal. With yeah, it. I mean, I think it's, and it's, it's one of those things where. You know, going back to the thing about being what's cinematic, it's like one of the things you learn. You learn is that, wow, there's so much movement in films. You don't realize it until you're sitting there studying. You're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, like, 
who was it? Was it Spielberg? They said like everything, something should be moving in every frame. It's yeah. not it's not the cameras, the people, and it's like. It, but, but right, no one's, no, 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 uh, Fincher does that too. Listen, yeah, even yeah. even when he's locked down, there's something. There's always yeah, motion yeah, somewhere. And at, yeah. and at the same time, you know, you have to be careful with that. Like the most annoying thing is just put, putting what they call the the drift. You know, when something's drifting, and then you're like, okay, there's no reason for this to be drifting. I'm just getting really, really sick. I should have done that. <laughs> that was stupid. You know. So, but yeah, that's when I talk to George, see what they want for sure, and then how much con- I try to see how much control they have. Yeah. You know, and 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 then if and if they want like 99% of control of everything, you know, try not to put your ego in the way of it. Be like, try to think of it as, okay, great. This will be easy. They have, they had to call all the shots. That way they come back to me like that pan was horrible. It's like, what was your idea? What I say to them is if you, when they give me a suggestion that's bad or they, I've had, um, you know, directors like, no, turn that light off. It doesn't look right. I'm like, oh, that's how you want to be remembered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, um, yeah. Yeah. I, Sometimes, right, if, it's, if it is that bad and I mean, if there's no reason for it, like, or I try to do, like, the mid-ground, I'm like, oh, how about we shoot it both ways and then post, you can decide which take you want, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe, or like, you're right, you, you try, and like, if you if you really sure feel strongly about something, uh, then, you know, you know, then you try and stand your ground as long yeah. as you can, but at the end of the day, they're still your client, it sucks, but I feel like that's more professional than I do. And that's what kind of inhibits yeah. you having that, sometimes that personal style as well. It's yeah. Like, they're still right. in charge at the end. Right. Like yeah. you said, you haven't developed one yet because it's really, you're working with so many different people doing so many different things. It's like, at what point does this become yours or was it just that that's what the project called for? Yeah. You know, yeah. So then, do you guys have anything that you looked, if you look back over your projects, all the different directors, and you say, holy shit, I do that a lot. You don't even <laughs> think about it, but I do that a lot. I've I've found that I always have, I always have a shot of somebody walking down a hallway towards a brightly lit door. Huh. You know, always, and I don't do it intentionally, but for some reason, I just like people walking towards doorways with a bright light coming through it. For some reason, I don't know why I do it. I would say the, the closest thing to a style that I I have is um, I. I'm just a fan of always making sure that like the women look gorgeous, okay. regardless of what they look like, because people are people. So I, I always have a little bit of that 40 style lighting on women. All right, like that, 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 that where you get that, that nice little, Garbo yeah, that of, little shadow yeah. under their chin a little bit, a little bit more in their eyes. So there, mm-hmm. there, there's probably at least one of those shots in every single. Movie. I have, okay. I have one lens that, um, it's uh, I, I actually have a full set of. Uh, uh, Super Takamars, which are Japanese lenses from the mm-hmm. 70s that are actually kind of radioactive. <laughs> um, so there's, I have one of them is uh, I barely use it. It's my 55 millimeter because it's actually a little warm. You keep them in a waterline box. And no, they're just there in my closet. <laughs> and next um, to the jacket that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it like the like the is it the the actual numbers or they they have the radioactive stuff on the numbers on? Them? No, the uh, the coating. On the on the on the lens itself. Um, so what happens over time is they actually go a little yellow. Um, so my 55 millimeter is extremely yellow. So it's this uh. really really warm lens, wow. and it's been pretty often used where I'm like, this is like it, it's just a beautiful lens. It's slightly different than that 50 millimeter, and, I, uh. and I, that has become like, oh, that's that's our leading ladies close up lens kind of thing. So I would say that's the closest thing to like. A style is that something that's you and yeah. uniquely you. Yeah. I'm trying to think what's what's uniquely me, <laughs> other than other than of course dark, and, uh, contrasty well, stuff. Um, yeah. 
I've noticed that when we're going through my old films, that like I, I go through like trends. You know, like this one will be like, oh wow, I did I drifted too much, or in this one I have lots of close-ups. Um, recently, the thing I'm doing now is a whole lot of like one takes. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg style. Spiel- kind of following. Yeah. Well, or yeah, solid one takes. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that, like following or like more like. You know, I was really inspired when I was growing up by, by Sam Raimi because all of his movements are, like, dynamic. He always has something ridiculous that mm-hmm. you don't see anywhere else where it's, like, you're running out into someone's face or, yeah. or something like that. So, like, something like that. So, like, if someone's moving from one room to the next, I might do a shot where I'm following from one room to the next. Uh-huh. But it also matters what kind of format I'm shooting, too. There's stuff that you can get away with on, on, on film that's not digital and stuff you can get away on digital and not on film. So. Yes. You know, it's, 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 for example, like a lot of the shots I wouldn't do on digital because for some reason it just don't work. Like, even if you have like a Ronin, you know, a Ronin or something, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but. I'm trying to think of uh, the director of Snake Eyes, uh, Nicholas Cage. Oh. Because um. the cinematography in that is fucking beautiful. When they go from one room to the next, they have entire like three, four yeah. minute sequences. Yeah. Just solid takes. Following people in and out because the whole thing's a damn set. You know, they just and they would break down a wall, go this way, put the wall up behind it. So when we turn back around, yeah. there's a wall, and then they did. And since the whole set, there was one point where they went over all the rooms, came back down, and then walked into the room, and the fucking ceiling is back, and it's like, how the fuck do you do that? You know, he walked, he followed, kind of one shot blows me away every single time I see it and I'm like there's no cut there's absolutely no fucking cut because you know a lot of the time they'll go past something and they'll use that for like a cross yeah. between the two this one he was following two characters behind him he followed them into the room goes across the room they sit down opposite into the table and the fucking camera goes over the damn table and when it gets to the table it turns around to look at all of them face it like <laughs> they had a, they had, they had a uh, person on the study cam and they had a crane that he walked on. It's like it's like oh, this. Oh, yeah. Shit. It's like the the sequence in uh, Kill Bill where they're at the uh, the the Japanese uh, uh, tea house mm-hmm. and you you just follow um, both the bride and uh, I can't think uh, Sophie okay. through the entire thing. So like it starts off like you see Sophie coming down uh, the steps and you go through the dance floor and then she and then it. Uh, it cranes up where like the camera is basically just above her and you see her walk into the bathroom you see like the kitchen working and all that stuff mm-hmm. and then all of that goes back and then you see where the bride is and she goes through that and mm-hmm. then she's in the bathroom together and then you know destruction happens but yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's it's <laughs> It's definitely like where you're like, oh, it, it, the, the kind of things where it kind of where it sucks being an indie, which is like, yeah, like oh, I don't have those tools. You're right, <laughs> yeah. right. But you find a way to do it some way. Some way you like, well, now even, you, if even if it's like now ten can, seconds, yeah. I'm gonna follow something fucking awesome. I just want to move from one space to another seamlessly. Oh, yeah. And now you, I, I, you could do that shot with a drone. Yeah. yeah, really good drone operator yes. in a studio space. Yeah, not in obviously yeah. Loca- yeah. <laughs> in location, but no, if yeah. you had a, if it was just a set build, yeah. 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 I've I've had a couple times where I've been at a disco exorcist. We had a studio space which was really cool. We okay. were able uh, able boom lights over walls. It's the greatest thing ever <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have to worry about them in shots. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's rare. But sometimes you get to. Work on actual like set sets in yep. movies. Yeah, I've done a few films where either either I've been the DP or I've been on the camera crew where people do start, do stuff like that on Ronins and on Jabalus stuff. And the thing that sucks is that it all seems like a really light, even if it's just a DSLR, it seems really light. But when you do like twenty takes of the same, oh, because yeah. you want to get it perfect, right. like your arms just burn out. And yeah. before you know it, the whole purpose of the, of, of your camera system is just to hold it for the DP when yeah. as he or she's trying to like 
Oh my god! If oh, I yeah. keep doing this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna. That's why they have the exoskeletons, exoskeleton things now. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like a hang. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, they're the one that hang, and then they no, have the one with the steady cam. Yeah, they have the four arms. Yeah, they're basically wearing a shark cage with a camera in it. Right, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, you know? Yeah, I, we, I actually did one of them, something similar to that. Uh, we started, started on one character, just. Yeah, it was two detectives. Start on the one detective, and the other one steps into frame. He berates him a little bit. Then we follow. Okay, we're in a crime scene. So turns, follows him, follows them up the driveway along the side of the house as they're talking. The whole shot is looking at their backs. You know, as I'm like, uh, I, I don't know how the we didn't know how the audio was going to be around it. So fuck it, I'm just going to face their back, and I'm going to ADR the whole damn thing. And we just let them go. And then so they get to the point here. He goes, one of them walks around the crime scene. You know, while the other one stays steady. So we used him on the edge here and watched him walk around the whole yard. And then he came back and the two of them go to the back of the house. And now we stop and turn to the side as they walk up the stairs and into the house. And it's like a three-minute shot. Nice. Straight yeah. through. We did it 13 times in a row. So it took a little over an hour, hour and a half to get through that. And... Ended up using take three. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't another, tell them that. Yeah, yeah. It's but take three, it wasn't the performance. And this is another thing that I'm sure you're debating that cinematographer versus director. Yes. I. It wasn't even the performance was the best. One of them was the best. The other one was way better in some of the other shots. But when we got to that point where they both stopped and the one walked into the yard. Uh, there's this huge tree over the whole thing and I was like this is perfect because it's gonna we're not, not going to get overblown because it's tree shading it you know and then we got there and the whole day was kind of overcast and I was like alright so cool now we're going to be nice and nicely lit I don't have to worry about shadows everybody can do whatever they want and we just look nice and lit but at that moment that he stepped out there must have been a hole in the cloud hmm. and the sun came through and it and it just lit up the whole yard as soon as he stepped under the tape and in <laughs> nice. it just went yeah. like like, oh my god, it just, the whole thing turned golden yellow. Yeah. And then when he stepped out, it went away again. It was, it was, it was and movie, I didn't notice it moments, when, yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. notice it when we shot it. And through the whole thing, I was like, I don't give a fuck, I want that take. Because yeah. it's just incredible. And it's one of those little things that, like I said, you wonder, I'm debating with myself versus the cinematographer who wants that, or the director who wants the performance. And I went with the cinematographer to make it look beautiful. And... Like, the audience will accept it because it looks yeah. gorgeous. Like, I, I, I got, <laughs> shaky as it was because it, yeah. <laughs> it looked great. I, I got into an argument with, with with a director about that. We were we we're analyzing movies and because that's what you do. And, and do you ever see you seen the movie Deliverance, right? Support in Deliverance in the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone like, like a pig. Down, 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 down. Right, right. like a pig. Ned Beatty. In the very beginning of the film, where you see all the guys like come out to the country to get out of their cars and they're talking, there's a part where they're sitting there. And there must have been like a tree overhead. And right as you said, the sun comes comes out of the trees, and 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 all and. and um, they weren't out in the sun. The tree was still blocking them, but you could see like these like dots along the ground yeah. because the light was coming to them. It was beautiful, right? Yeah. Just said, like it was coming in, it was coming in. It was great. And the guy next to me is like, he's like, he's like, that's a, that, that's pretty cool. I did it, right? And I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, and I told you him, told the sun where to go. <laughs> well, right. Well, no, no, no. Well, right. Exactly. Exactly. I said, I said, I said, listen. 
and and every every filmmaker who's done this long enough knows it. It's like if you shoot enough footage, sometimes you with yes. the whole movie, whole movie magic. You know, like yeah. every every film has it. You know, like Evil Dead. It's it's when Bruce Campbell is putting the dirt onto the camera. Like you see the little holes before it. Uh -huh. It was totally done by accident. You couldn't you couldn't possibly yeah, plan it. Right. The things yeah. you can't can never right. Never, never yeah. right. Again. He could have done that, thrown that dirt fifteen thousand more times, and maybe got it once right. one more time. Yeah, exactly. So that's so why I told him like, listen, that was totally done by accident. And he looked at me. He's like, no man, they they totally fucking did it on purpose. I'm like I'm like right. They have an entire HMI panel. <laughs> they moved the fucking tree. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh and, and, and we got just so many. And like for, and like after a while, I didn't want to argue with him. Like you're right. They, Totally did it on purpose. And then, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then, like a week later, he he got on. Like it, it's funny. Like he put it, some Freemasons in, and they right. yes, set yes. up the whole place yeah, right. this way. The sun at this moment, at this exact second, for thirty seconds, <laughs> yeah. is going to beam down on this, yeah. and we're all going to glow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean. There probably are dressers who are that insane, but like I, I looked at, him, I'm like Stanley I Kubrick, right? Exactly. Yeah, he would probably yeah, be yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he's usually the only director who who could get somebody to pay for it as well. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, Chris Nolan could get somebody to pay for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, because oh my god, oh my god, Chris Nolan likes to throw fucking cars off of things. He builds all those cars that's crashing into things. He builds a giant fucking slingshot, puts a car in it, and. <laughs> Really? it off. That that van, Inception, the van, yeah, that was they shot that like 10, 15 times. A van out of a slingshot going off the fucking cliff, yeah, it's like off the uh, the bridge. It's literally what they have, the, a giant car I actually slingshot. didn't see that. The, the actual towing company must have made bank that day. <laughs> they, 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 they probably put the guy's kids through college that day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but that's what he does. That pulse, type of stuff, he wants it the, in frame. The, he doesn't want CG for it. I, I was thinking the, the Blues Brothers when you said that. Like, do you have oh, yeah. car to destroy the Blues <laughs> the Brothers? See, I love that movie, and there was I was watching something that they were talking about like some of the, the most destructive car scenes from the 70s, and that wasn't mentioned. They like, mentioned Bullet and a couple of other. I'm like, do you know how many fucking like, yeah. police cars they did? Destroy yeah. that beautiful, yeah. hilarious sequence. Yeah, like, uh -huh. it, yeah. it deserves credit. Even if yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I'll see, like, well, yeah, a comedy. And, and, and so much of it is, is unappreciated. They have the one, the one where they're driving through the middle of Chicago, yeah. like going ninety miles an hour. It's like, it's like they really had a stunt guy go ninety miles an hour down it, and but everyone thinks that the, that the camera was undercranked. Everyone thinks that like no. They, they, no, it was a guy who really went ninety miles an hour. But they were same thing in French Connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the commentary, they were saying that they were like everyone thinks we undercranked. They're like, there's no way you could drive this car this fast going through Chicago. But we did it. We really did it. Yeah, <laughs> we did it. yeah. Like, like yeah. right, you're right. It's like how much effort did it was that French Connection? Yeah. They created a distraction because they they didn't have the yeah they didn't they, they were they had a, a street that they could shoot on, but. Uh, uh, Freakin, right? William Freakin. I think so. Or yeah, Freakin directed that, and he said, "Yeah, but there's not enough road. We don't have enough space." So they actually created a distraction on another street over there, and literally the patron people on the streets, like, because you know, as you're shooting in the streets, people are going to walk by and everything. They created, they did something down the block. They they did something like like they staged a car wreck from the set from the stuff that they had. So. Everybody for the next like four or five blocks literally went that way to watch them clean up the mess. And then they sped the car in that direction. <laughs> so that there's no pedestrians, there's no nothing that they didn't put in the in the in the frames Jeez. to hit anybody. So everybody's over there looking and then the fucking thing is happening behind them. Wow. <laughs> and because they, they also they didn't have permits to do that. So they yeah. had to clear the street somehow. Yeah. So hell, let's crash a car over there. <laughs> and then speed out there. I'm like, that's fucking genius. And when I see them driving under the go like going under the L, I know exactly where they shot it too. Exactly where they shot it under that because the, the the train themselves, the actual pegs that hold the L train up are in the middle of the street. 
That's the so when, when it looks like he's going up on the sidewalk. That's actually you know, you know how, the, how the streets are. Like you go farther down Atlantic yeah. Avenue, the way it is there. That's over in Astoria. The train the train is overhead. Those pegs are in the middle of the street, and they're actually weaving through those things to make it look much bigger. Like they're doing a whole lot more, yeah. and it's Gene fucking Hackman doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so who's who's ever? I mean, that's why his career went down. He almost killed a million dollar actor. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, all right. Uh, let's, let's do one more subject. All right. Good. Film versus digital. <laughs> good, um, good and bad. The goods, goods and bad. Uh, I, I look at. I talked to you the other day. Yeah. I, I look at it like asking a painter what's better, oil or acrylic. You know, mm. they're both strong tools for the job you want. Yeah. You know, some works for this, some better for that. Pros and cons, and what is your preference? Um, well, it's funny. I've, I've had a lot of, I don't know what you want to call it, growing or whatever, but over the past year, um, I've realized that this year I want to put, dedicate more of my time to film, to be honest with you. I mean, for me, my, my like preference is obviously film, but I have a bias towards it because that's what I grew up on. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, like over the years, I've learned that for, it, 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 there's, there's no better. I mean that's that that that's the no, bottom line. There is yeah. no better. Like there is no this work. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's why I don't I don't want to go there. Yeah, like it, oh, what's better? Yeah, right, 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 right. No, right. no. Um, yeah. Yeah. fifteen years ago you could say one the film was better, uh, but at this point, like eight sixteen k we're getting to. All right, I think we're getting yeah, pretty yeah. fucking close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting it, pretty damn yeah, close. And even then, and even then, like was it? I was at the. You're, you're familiar with the company Sakuto? They yes. Had, they had this. Yes. They had this web series called the the Great Camera Shootout. And, okay. And I remember I went to the city to see it, and they showed us like. 20 different cameras put together. Even on even on the like digital side, like after a while, you do lose track of what you're looking at. You're like, all these cameras are great, and I think that's what comes for me. That for me, it's not for me on a personal level. What really drove me, you know, wanted me to do more film work this year is that it's not it's not the formats that I, I that I performed with over and I that I recommended, but it's the culture. The mm -hmm. culture has changed so much. Yeah, it's it's like like this year I went to the NAB shows, went to the camera shows, and oh, I, got, I go to them every year. I love them. I go. To them. I, I'm not. No, been able to go to any of those, and I really want to because I'm I love gear. It's <laughs> free too. Yeah, they're free. But, I, I've gone for yeah. five years now. Yeah, last year was the first year I went, and I was actually really depressed because I, what I'm finding is that I'm no longer interested in the cameras for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like 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 the thing about about photography, cinematography, or, or any kind of art, it's supposed to be something. You know, it's your art. It's, yeah. it's an extension of yourself. On the digital side of things, it wasn't becoming that way anymore. I'm buying gear. Because people, because it's now like the next iPhone. People are like, "Oh, do you have this camera?" It's like, "No, I, I'll, I'll get it to you. I'll figure it out yeah. this week." You know, like, and it's it, 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 like, 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 it. Know what? Yeah, like, I mean, like, if you and we were talking about this the, uh, the other day, like, if if you had bought, like, let's say, a red one back in the day, if, if you were your own filmmaker, that's what's so nice about you know, like, like societies like this, is if you're doing your own stuff, and if or if you're working with the same cinematographer over and over again, and if you even you're shooting with the red one. Over the it's, it came out what two thousand nine mm -hmm. something like that yeah. so yeah. around two thousand nine like it's like you know something I I'm telling like this is this is I I bet this on anything if you stuck with that camera all this time 
I bet you that you will still like not like ninety nine percent of your stuff will still be better than if some brand new kid out of film school bought like an epic weapon yeah. or a weapon, red weapon. Yeah. Seriously, because you learn all the odds in that camera. Like even if even if the camera overheats all the time, by then by now you know how to keep it from doing that. I've shot everything on a sixty D since two thousand since since it came out, it's, it and I have people yeah. telling me that they're shooting. That I've I know somebody who shot their feature on a on a uh, Mark IV, the five D Mark IV. Yeah. Or Mark III was the one that came out last year. I think they are on Mark yeah, IV. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah Canon, I've given up yeah. paying attention to what versions are. <laughs> yeah, but I love, absolutely love Canon. And I did that, I've had that 60D. I just shot uh, almost 15 short films and two features on it. And this dude who had got the, that the, when the Mark III or four, whatever it was, and shot his movie on it, he's like, how the hell did you get it to look that way? My shit. Exactly, which is looking ten times better than his. He's got the top of the line, the brand new, you know, whatever the fuck Canon camera, and I'm using a ten-year-old camera, and it's still looking better simply because yeah. I've learned how to do that with that camera. Yeah, it's it's you know, like film was a format I started on. It's something I love to do. If, if I wasn't doing something professional in it, I was at least doing something for me, whether it be a home movie or whatever. And like, it's something that I grew with. It's like it's something that I love to. It's it makes me happy to shoot film. It, it's Something I love to do, and I and it's sad because I don't. You don't see that in, on, on, on the digital side. No one, no one says like, "Oh, I really love my C100," and they stick with it through the years. No yeah. one, I mean, like I've, it's it's again, it's not the format. It's like, it's the culture. I, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to shit on people who shoot digital. That's not yeah. what I'm trying to do. That's no, 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 of course it, not. It's it's. I mean, like that's that that's but that's my thing. Is a is like it's. I mean, for example, like I have a GH4. The GH5 came out, and and again, a whole lot more people were like, "Hey, man, are you you're gonna get the GH5?" And at the time, I was kind of ignorant to it. I'm like, "Oh, well, what's new on it?" And they're like, "And, and no one knows." Like, 5K, yeah, right. like three things are new right. on it, 5K. right? And the 5K isn't even like it's it, it's tricky. At least this when it came out it was tricky. Like 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 yeah, it's like it's, it's do you have the next thing? Like I'm not I'm no longer buying things for me. I'm buying things for my clients. You know, yeah. for example, like. You know, like you know, like if you can mention, like you mentioned, like a, if you want to show like a Scion or a, a digital Bolex, or or if it's not like a main, like I buy things because what are the clients looking for? Yeah. If you go on on Facebook or something, your clients are like, I'm looking for a guy with a C300. Uh, you know, like when that came out, everyone was asking for mm -hmm. it. Like I'm like, great. Now I have to. I'm not, I'm now looking at the things that other people want, not so much that I care for, mm -hmm. but things that yeah, uh, the mainstream wants, and it's and that's not what. I mean, it, it's so bizarre. It's not hard think of, yeah. Or think, I mean, even as even as a, a, a employment, just as as a business thing. Think about any other job on the planet. Imagine you're the best mechanic in town. You don't get work because you're not using Snap-on tools. Yeah. It, 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 no, that that is the thing I've run into. Um, you talk about like the person comes out of school and they get like a red. I always call them uh, trust fund cinematographers. <laughs> so like I've never had the opportunity. Like I don't own a camera right now. Like I either rent or I you know borrow with like you know need for extreme payback <laughs> cameras from other people because I've never been like I, I had a pocket cam for a little while. I've never been in a situation where I've been able to buy what's hot. Just always been out of my reach and I realized real quickly that so what <laughs> I I actually found it very liberating when I you know sold my lighting gear earlier this year and I was like I want to work on projects that either I'm going to bring in the resources with my crew with other people and then we're going to rent what we need oh. um, because being an owner operator even with lighting equipment 
is frustrating as fuck. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I own everything, and I've and I've said to myself, I want to start. And I said I want to get a cinematographer. The next one, I'm going to let the cinematographer worry about having what we need yeah. for the project. That's yeah. that's what I'm bringing. That's what I'd be bringing you on for to tell me what is the best tool for what we're going to do. Right. I'm not. I wouldn't want to. I would. I have, of course, being as I know what I'm doing, I know I have an idea of it. I would already say, well, I kind of want this and everything. But if you have a better suggestion for what we're going to shoot. I'm all ears, you know. So that's yeah. what I want to do. I want to be able to say, look, let them do their fucking job. And, and even you know, as, and even as a cinematographer, like if you have your own line of kits and all this stuff, like, look, well, what do you need to make it look good? Well, I like, oh, well, I also have lighting gear. It's like they either don't want to pay the kit fee, and if they're if they're low budget, it's fine. But then, yeah. then you have no way of transporting all this stuff. Like, like they can't give you transportation. They can't give you help moving it. And 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 you hit it right on the nail, like. I feel like the like where you want to be as a cinematographer now is um, if you're working for other people is to get to a point where you get people who are will who can pay the rental fees yes. for the stuff that you need. But that's the hard part is you have to work your way up through the ranks. And sometimes not that sometimes it's like it's all a networking game. Yeah. There's so yeah. many people out there who'd rather hire their cousin who just bought a camera or bought like a camera at Walmart than hire. Yeah. You know, it's like it's 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 very tough and. And along the lines that you were saying, like now this year in particular, I'm working with people like like the, with, with the people the directors I always work with, mm -hmm. and also my own stuff. Like again, I, I or I'm now starting a company with Angie Hansen that she's we, we're making our own stuff, and a lot of my work now is on sound because there's very few sound people, and it's a, it's a yes. different market. Yeah, sound, sound is definitely a different market. Um, yeah, the, the the biggest thing, like you said, where it's everybody's chasing gear. Yeah. Um, I like. The thought process or like you like a particular camera company or something like that like uh, a friend of mine ben he airy all the way like mm -hmm. if he was given an opportunity to have you know the best red like the weapon 8k blah blah, blah yeah. versus like a couple years back airy model he's gonna take the airy model yeah <laughs> um i love black magic i'm a huge fan because i'm because i'm a colorist i love how much you play around with it. yeah they've had their pitfalls and they don't they basically when you purchase a lot of their cameras at least in the last couple of years but they've kind of fixed that you're paying to be a beta tester yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and 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 give them feedback so they can fix their shit yeah um at least finally with like there's so many pro and um and they've kind of solved that problem where they're not having as many issues um but that I like that culture better than oh this is a hot new thing because like one you never learn because like if you use a black magic it doesn't matter if you use the pocket camera or the original cinema camera or the Rosemary Pro or the little tiny uh, micro you know how to run that camera in some form or fashion yeah they're mm -hmm. all a little different but mm -hmm. you understand that camera completely if you're using Aries most of the time you're understanding that if you're using Reds you're gonna know that yeah it's really hard to know every camera brand's Stay on top sure. of like the amount of money you would vomit up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to stay on yeah. top of things um, would be insane. So I like knowing the information. I'm not going to go run out and buy the stuff. Um, in regards to film and digital, I've only shot on film once, um, uh -huh. which was uh, we shot a fake porno scene for Disco Exodus on eight <laughs> millimeter, um, and so uh, that that was the the only time I ever shot on film. I've had a couple of opportunities almost come up and then just didn't happen. I would definitely love to shoot film again just because I do think it's uh, a completely different discipline where you have to, like, focus on a lot of things. There's that the whole mentality of fix it and post. And yeah. hate. You can't do that with film. And um, I almost wish that every director had to shoot 
one film on 8mm or 16 or 35. Just one. I don't even care if it's two minutes long. Yeah. Just one. I would be happy um, because then they would understand, I think, our jobs a little bit better mm-hmm. and understand why we're as picky and anal as we are about things. Um, but I, I don't... I don't see the bad thing to some degree with film dying out because uh, I think a lot of the diehard, like, film angelists, as I like to call them, <laughs> um, it, they try to pretend that it's a permanent medium, that if you shoot on digital, it could be gone, which yeah. is true, but how fast film deteriorates. Like, there's movies, like, right, right now, right this moment while I'm saying this, a film is dying because yeah. nobody digitized it. When yep. listeners listen to this, right at that moment, it's happening. Another film from like 1920s dying yeah. because no one digitized it. I, I actually have to slightly disagree with you on no, that. You I, disagree? I, I, I ha- I'm sorry, I have to. Because, I mean, like, um, I mean, I again, my very first camera was a Super 8 camera, and every other year, I'm told, hey, they're going to stop making this stuff. No, they're going to keep making it because there's people who want to use it. Right, yeah. but I've gone through VHS, DV. <laughs> video 8 uh, DSLR like the one thing that's been consistent ironically is my Super 8 camera in a, in a Super 8 you are right about one thing if you don't if you're not careful about archival yes, yes a, it's gone. Right, a, film, a, film, right, a film will die in about 100 years yeah. but that's still 100 years like I've, I've lost so much footage to disc rot bit rot mm-hmm. um, and, 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 since, oh, yeah. and since people are so crazy about 8K I've lost I've lost an entire days of audio because somebody shook the recorder wrong yeah, I'm a redundancy person, so like I, I. Oh, before we even get it out of the damn recorder, that I've never had. That's you know, insane. Oh yeah, one, it was one set. They lost the whole day. Somebody dropped it, and we got the memory card out, and it was blank. Oh my god, mm-hmm. fucked up. Just that, just one of these hit the ground, and the memory card inside got fucked up. Whole day's of audio gone. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, of course, somebody's yeah. breaking it, but nonetheless, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like. If you had a freaking like a DAT recorder or a tape or something, you could drop it all the fuck you want. That's, that you're not ruining that tape by just yeah. throwing it on the ground. All you gotta do is respool it, and hey, here you go, you're back in business. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, but there's still but there's still like of like course, of course it's deterioration. And like film, yeah, it can last third you know a hundred years. But think about Star Wars, where it was shot in the seventies and early eighties, and when he did the first of many remasters, there were entire scenes that they had fixed so much because they were basically just blue cast. No contrast. Right. It does deteriorate but, faster but, than 100 but, years. But you could do it, though. Yes. You, 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 you could do it. At a certain point. Like, like, like the, I mean, well, there's so much we could talk about archival. I mean, like, I could, I could go on forever. The Because um, I don't know how long, the, how long that, that'll last. The thing for me. Well, well, what what cool. time is your movie? Uh, three forty-five, and you're one forty-five, yeah. right? Yeah. So we'll get a couple more minutes. Okay. So we're already one twenty. So I mean, going back to the whole culture thing, and this is this is this is like a big. This is what I've noticed about the big difference too is that like, like the reason why like they still make it. They haven't made Codex now trying to come out with the camera. Which I don't know if it's a particularly I don't know good. Why. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea. It's a long story why, but Ectochrome I think is a good idea. The camera is not, but. But that's the thing. Like uh, that's that's the one thing. That's the other thing about the culture because it's so different than other art mediums. Like they still make tintypes and mm-hmm. and you know like in Civil War type photography, um, they still make paints. They still still make eight millimeter film. And it seems like a bold statement, but if Kodak dies tomorrow and Fuji dies tomorrow, there will still be film. Yes. Because people make it in their basements. Mm-hmm. No one's making VHS tapes in a basement. No one's making yeah. salt. I mean, like it's. I mean, that's, uh, they, why I'm a, that's why I collect VHS, because there's a lot of movies that were shot on tape. 
that will disappear. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. that tape at no, no, right. that tape is going to right. if you don't digitize it, it will absolutely yeah. be gone it, very soon it, and by that, just taking it too close to a fucking refrigerator. Or a yeah. Magnet. Yeah, yeah. Magnet is just yeah. Yeah. in three seconds you're going to erase yeah. the entire tape. Yeah. And, you know? And the irony of that is I know lots of people who will even go more hardcore about the whole archival thing and I'll tell you that, that magnetic tape is even more is more stronger for archival medium than than, than, than hard drives because and, and solitude drives because when those things die they die whether it's yeah. when that tape is physical but again in my mind I'm always like oh, I've been quite a couple magnets on yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's like it's 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 all relative I, I think I think as far as archival goes I think it's I think it goes it goes back to the culture like I posted stuff on YouTube that was like I have stuff that's deep when your codec gets to and your codecs are going to be popping up well, like how far is this going to go like 10k 20k mm-hmm. like like, like yeah. it, it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. What's yeah. going to happen is the stuff you shot on 1080, people are going to be like, this is a blurry mess. Yeah. The irony, uh, I mean, and that's, which is sad. Like, to me, that's sad. Like, that shouldn't matter. But if people still care about that kind of stuff in yeah. the next 20 years, then film will still be okay. Because if you, if you, if you, because the thing about film is it doesn't get any sharper than what it is. Like, like 60 millimeter, mm-hmm. like just barely, it's right under 4K. But it won't get any it won't get any sharper, but it won't get any duller either. Like you just rescan it to whatever pixels you want. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a, the film the film itself can right. degrade, but as long as right. you archive I mean, it early enough and take yeah. it and move it over, now, you know. Now, but the point is is that there nothing's perfect. No, well, no, 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 right. Nothing is. That's, that's, that's kind of where we're going yeah. with it. Right, right, right. Nothing is perfect. Nothing's perfect. No perfect. It's, it's, yeah. all, it's all freaking academic. Yeah, there is no permanent I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, no, film's better, but, like, I'm not going to, yeah. you know. Also, I'm saying, like, like the, the, the people who think that film is permanent is my, my issue. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. no, it's not. It's it's going to degrade, like, everything else. And well, like, yeah, everything degrades. You're right. Everything degrades. You're absolutely right about that. What I think the appeal in film is, though, is kind of that apocalyptic mentality. When it all goes down and all the things over, all I need is a candle and a film a film reel, and I can watch a movie. That's all I need in well, the end. You know, I, I, when there's no computers, no more electricity, I can hand crank a camera and still watch a movie. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Well, well that's like the whole historian thing. I don't like. Yeah. There's been a few historians that I, I think. Just, I think that's yeah. where some of that mentality comes yeah, from. That I can still watch a movie in my basement with no power as long as I well, have my film reel. Yeah. The, you know? There's that, and also the fact that historians have always been able to find like postcards and negatives from like garages and yeah. flea markets. But I mean, like, we live in a generation where we take a hundred pictures on our phone, and when that phone dies, you lose. All that data. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. It's it's all. We're not going to know for sure until the next ten or twenty years. It's yeah. it's. I'm not going to be here and be like, no, digital sucks as this archival medium. I mean, I think you you were saying this before, and I, and I, I was agreeing that I do I do know that I, that every couple of years I take all the data that I have and I have to put it back on new hard drives to keep yeah. up. Yeah. And, it's, and it's getting it's, yeah. All the hard drive's been sitting in a box. Yeah, it's going to turn on yeah. after after yeah. a year and a half of yeah. sitting in that. You used it for a year and a half to edit yeah. your movie. Now you put it in a box for three years. It's, Can it turn on? Well, because the yeah. motor could just be dead. Yeah. A feature I was AD on, and um, I convinced the director because he never likes to have more than one drive. And I'm like, no, let's get two. And one of our last days of filming, um, two drives are sitting. And I, I always put my drives flat. I do not have them standing up because yeah. that just calls for chaos yeah. yeah and the two drives were standing up and someone bumped the coffee table and one fell and it was gone yeah and i that's was it. like one and bump. i was like and that's why we have two so oh. i'm going to the backup right, right yeah. now <laughs> yeah yeah all right um so yeah we're gonna wrap it up um where can people find you if they want to hire you work with you or just see your stuff 
Uh, you can go to jpoison, which is J-P-O-I-S-S-O-N, or I say poison with an extra S, dot com. Mm -hmm. um, all my social media is linked on that, which is really easy. It's at Jill Poison. I think on Facebook it's J Poison Filmmaker because I have a professional page and a private page. I mean, you can friend me on my, my professional, I'm a private page, but I'm really annoying, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, and that's where you can find me. Awesome. Um, you go to my web. In a film archive somewhere in a basement? <laughs> right, 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 right. You have no idea. It's, it's like stacks of film on top of hard drives and DV tapes. And, and he's behind it writing a 300-page review for Le right. Fond Absolute de Mont. Right? Yeah, right, yeah, right. Um, you can go to my website. It's com, which P-H-I-L-I-P-K-R-A-L. So. Cool. Yeah. Thank you guys for... Uh, for doing this. No, yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah.